0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Amen. You know, as you're being seated, I just want to start again tonight in 1 Peter 4. I'm not going to be long because I really do believe we, um, we want to be prioritizing tonight a time of, of prayer and ministry. But my heart is um, longing for us to experience the goodness of God in ways that perhaps we have not yet, perhaps ways that require us both to trust God and also to, be, to receive from Him things that perhaps we have not, uh, maybe they're unexpected or maybe they're, they're not exactly the the things that we would pick for ourselves. And so with that in mind, I wanna return to the passage where we left off this morning and just say a few more things about it, really focusing in on verses 10 and 11. Each one as he or she has received a gift, let him use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied or diversified grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, this was the, the last point I made this morning. It'll be the first point I make tonight. And that is to say that if we want to live well as a people, as we're facing the end of all things, as we're, you know, as I mentioned earlier today, just living like Christians, then we're going to have to learn how to build. We're going to have to learn how to take responsibility for things that God gives us and put them to use for the benefit of others. This passage makes very clear that Peter's expectation is that there's nobody kind of like sitting on the sidelines here. The kingdom of God is not a spectator sport. It's not something where we come and get front row seats and then just watch a bunch of paid professionals play the game. It's not a rugby match. It's not a football game. It is not a, uh, this, is a this is a small confession here. I like to take what I call golf naps. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Any? I see that hand. I love to have a golf tournament on in the background and just take a 35 minute nap. It's just gold because all the golf commentators are all quiet and even the clapping is muted. Oh, oh! even when they do something bad, it's like, oh, he can't be happy with that one. You know, it's like, it's so under, it's so understated. I took a golf nap this afternoon. I'm not going to lie. I'm saying it's not a a professional golf tournament where everyone stands along the side and only the golfers, you know, they go out in the fairway and they play. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is, you know, everyone is on the playing field. Everyone's on the court or on the pitch, if you prefer. Everyone is engaged in the work. And the only way we get to the destination that we're called to is if everybody's contributing. Um, It's tough, you know, sometimes when you're playing a competitive sport and one of the players on the team is not doing their job, there's automatically a hole in the game plan. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's basketball, football, soccer, uh, whatever. It's like if someone's not doing their job at their position, it's an automatic weakness. It's an automatic uh, opening for the other team to take advantage of that, to exploit that. For a long time, I think many of us, you know, we are, we are trained to think that, you know, the, the people who hold microphones and, and go on platforms, they're the ones that really do the work. But I, it's not real. That's an illusion. The, the Bible is very clear on that point. I remember, you know, just thinking of Ephesians 4 look, I believe in five-fold ministry leaders. I believe in apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. I believe in that. But I also believe that their mission is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's not to do the ministry. It's to build the people so that the people know how to serve one another and build one another in love. So when Peter's saying this, he's not trying to to say, oh, we don't need leaders, or we don't need this and that. No, I, I think the Bible calls for leaders too. But we as leaders, those of us who have those roles, we kind of have to wrap our minds around the kingdom way of leadership, which, which is not sitting on a throne and telling everybody what to do. It's, it's empowering people and mobilizing them so that they can do the work of the ministry. So when Peter says, as each one has received a gift, he's just expecting People have resources from God. That's what God does as a father. You might read this in Matthew 7. He gives good gifts to his children. Or in Luke's version, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And along with that spirit, along with that bright, powerful, pure presence of God, we get abilities from the Spirit to serve, to build, and to encourage and Peter is very clear about that. And so he says, listen, as you've received this gift, use it, <laughs> right? You know, sometimes there's um, a little bit of a, a false pride that creeps in. Probably none of you here. But some Christians, you know, they will say, oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy of, you know, serving in that way. You know, I'm, I'm such a, you know, this and that. Oh, I don't have those. You know, it's, it's not authentic humility it's still self-centered because the argument still revolves around what the person is thinking of themselves and not necessarily about what God's saying or what God's doing or what God's given that person so we can pretend to be humble when in reality we're being stubborn and we're not using the gift that God gave us that was free of charge that was just a side side effect sidebar there but We have to put it to use. I mentioned earlier this morning the word steward or manager. Um, We have to get over the idea that just because we've received grace from God that we're not accountable for anything. In fact, I would submit to you, there's like a higher level of accountability in the new covenant than the old. Accountability does not mean that we're working to earn salvation. Accountability means that we've been given wealth and now we have to decide what to do with it. We have to administrate that wealth. We have to manage that wealth. It's like the parables that Jesus tells about the guys that, he, that are given five talents, two talents, one talent. It's like, what, do you, what did they do with that stuff? The guy with the five brought in five more. The guy with the two brought in two more. The guy with the one was scared, so he buried the thing in the ground. And when the master came back, he's like, how could, how could you bury it in the ground? At least put it in the bank and I could get some interest off of it. And he literally takes that away from the person and gives it to the guy with 10. I don't want us to be the people who are scared. And so God's giving us resources and we're scared and so we don't do anything with that. And we bury it in the ground. We don't bring him a return on his investment, so to speak, we don't, Give him, we don't bring him anything that we can present before him and say, Master, here, you know, I doubled this. Master, here, what you gave me, I, mean, I used it I'm, to multiply the effect. 1 Corinthians 3 is another one of those passages. Paul says, you know, you're, everyone is, everyone's accountable for how they build. There's only one foundation. No one can change that, Jesus Christ. But everyone's going to build on that, and you better be careful how you build. Because you can build, on the one hand, with wood, hay, and stubble, or on the other hand, you can build with gold, silver, and precious stones. In the end of the day, there will be this testing by fire, and we'll see what survives. And it's important that we know that, because we are accountable for the construction project that is God's people. We are accountable. And God's going to find out like what we've done with what he's given. And we don't want to stand before him with like a... You know, a mansion made of straw, because that thing will go up in a heartbeat, and there'll be nothing left. We don't want to come before God with something that looks impressive, but actually it's hollow. It won't endure. Man, I'd rather come with God to God with like a pebble of gold than a mansion made of straw. You know, we want to be thinking about how to do that in our lives. How do we build for eternity? And part of it revolves around being managers and stewardship, having a stewardship. You know, part of being in the kingdom is recognizing that we're sons and we're daughters. And in any healthy, functioning household, sons and daughters have responsibilities. They're not just along for the ride. They, they learn how to do stuff. They learn how to clean the room. They, they learn how to take the dog out. They learn how to, you know, whatever. It's shoveling and it's all the things. They learn how to do the dishes and unload the dishwasher and they learn how to do, you know, it's like, it's a part of the the family's functioning that sons and daughters, what they start learning to do is take responsibility for the health and well-being of that household. So as sons and daughters, we all have that same burden of responsibility. Now I say burden, we're not doing it in our own. We come to Jesus, we get yoked to him. And then we learn about his burden, which is light, and his yoke, which is easy. And it's easy as long as we're walking with him, doing it his way. When we start trying to do it our own way is when things go bonkers, right? That's not what we want. But when we do it his way, we learn how to manage, we learn how to steward, we learn how to bear weight and responsibility in the kingdom. And the further we go in the kingdom, the heavier the weight of responsibility usually gets. But here's the thing, all the while, as you're carrying certain weights of responsibility, you're getting stronger. So you become more capable, right? That's the difference between being a 12-year-old and a 35-year-old, is how you handle the weight of responsibility of life. I don't expect the same thing from my 14-year-old daughter as I expect from my 22-year-old son. They're in different places in life. The same thing is true in the kingdom. God isn't expecting something from a brand new believer on the same level that he would expect from someone who's been walking with him for 30 years. But there are expectations for everyone because everyone's a steward. Everyone's a manager. Jesus didn't give, the th- in the parable, the, the guy didn't give the three people the same amount of stuff. He gave one, five, one, two, one, one. Why do you think he did that? Because he knew the capacities. He knew what they could bear. It's not, this isn't communism where everybody gets the same responsibility mandated for them. This is the kingdom. We have a wise king who wants to set us up to succeed. So he's not going to dump us a bunch of stuff on you that you can't bear. He will give you what you can bear. And then it's on you to cooperate with that, to steward that. So if I, want, if I could give you just this vision tonight of you know God's grace is poured out on us, right? And grace means a number of things. Number one, it means our pardon, our forgiveness, our reconciliation with God, which we could not effect on our own. The blood of Jesus had to wash away. It had to destroy the barrier between us and God. That is grace. But grace is also this kind of concrete distribution of resources. The word for gift in the original language is grace thing. It's like the, the best translation I can come up with. The Greek word charis is what we translate grace. The word we're using here, spiritual gifts, is charisma. It, it means like grace thing. God gave you grace things, and now you have to steward those things. And they're very different. Some of them are, very, they're very different. Um, but you get to manage the grace things of God. That's like a a high honor and a a responsibility. And it's the way God decided to do it. I don't know why. You know, if I were the Lord, I wouldn't have left it up to people because we have a really bad track record. (laughs) You know, when it comes to being faithful, people, you know, in the Bible, you know, from the very beginning, I mean, they're jacked up. People make bad decisions, people make awful choices, people rebel against God and then they hurt each other and the whole societies are formed around things that are just evil and corrupt and broken. So if it were me, like in Acts, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead, I'd have been like, you know what, let's go send some angels around, you know, to to call people to repentance. Because these angels are bad people, you know, I mean, they're bad, be- these, I mean bad, I mean good, like Michael, Michael Jackson, kind of bad, but They're like, you know, some of these angels are intimidating. You know, they slaughter hundreds of thousands of armed forces. Just one of them. Come on, let's send the angels out. Or better yet, Jesus, why don't you go preach your own gospel? Why do you got to get us involved? You know, every time we get involved, things go haywire. Let Jesus, you just go around. You're raised from the dead. Why don't you just go around? but That was not his agenda. His agenda was to redeem us, to reconcile us, and then to repurpose people—is that—is that, is that uh, can I say that? Repurpose. We used to say recycle, but now they don't say that anymore, do they? It's repurposing plastic and things. You know, we there's a there's a brokenness in people. It's like, wow, man, people just throw them on the on the junk pile. But God's about the business of no, no, I'm going to repurpose those people, and that's exactly what happens in Ephesians four. It said, "When Jesus ascended on high, he he brought captives in his train, and then he gave gifts to men. And the gifts he gave in four eleven are the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In other words, he he brought them to himself, turned around, and then gave them back to the people in order to build. So we're on mission this way. We all have this responsibility." So when we are thinking about the grace things of God, right, we want to have a clear mind. We want to understand that this is not just for the mystical people. You got any of those in your life? The mystical ones? They always see feathers and things? Nothing against it. I don't tend to be that kind of, I don't see a lot of visions. I don't have a lot of feeling things that happen to me. My wife is like that. She has dreams all the time, she, you know, certain things she'll, she'll, she has smells and th- it's bananas. I don't understand it. I'm not like that, but there are people like that, you know, who just have these mystical encounters with God. And I'm over here just reading the Bible, like, oh man, this is wonderful. But someone's over here, like in the third heaven, I'm like, this is great. Can I come along? You know, I've never had that kind of experience. I want you to understand the grace things of God are not just for the mystical people. They're, they're not just for the people on platforms. They're not just for the people who have um, titles in front of their name. Pastor so-and-so, Archbishop, what's his name? Cardinal, this guy. No, no. The grace things of God are for the people of God. The grace things of God are for the body of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, not, it's not something that you have to complete an application for. I, I'm here. I'm, to, I'm here to apply for the gift of prophecy. You don't have to do that, actually. And so I want it to be like we have to normalize this. Like, man, grace, grace to us should become grace through us. Yeah. Like th- this is the mentality behind spiritual gifts. It should not be complicated. It should be in like a mindset that says, oh man. God brought me into his family. He's given me resources. Now I want to use those resources to pursue his purposes. So 1 Peter lays that out for us and also gives us confidence. You know, if if you've got a gift from God, you should use it with confidence. You know, if you have a gift to prophesy or to teach or to exhort or to speak in tongues and interpret, you want to be doing that as if you're really believing that God's speaking through you. You say, well, brother, that's, that's pride. No, 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 that's just the Bible's teaching. Now, again, we test everything. I'm not just saying someone gets up here and say, I saw a blue cow and, you know, this means that you are to freeze all of your assets in ice. <laughs> I mean, we're going to test everything. That's part of the deal. First Corinthians 14. We, we are going to test it by the teaching of scripture. We are going to test it because nobody's perfect. We're going to test it because we're trying and we need discernment and we're, we're working on that. This is not a free for all. I don't mean it like that, but hey, if we are going to speak, we should, well, let's let's speak as if we really believe that God can speak. If we're serving, if we're, uh, you know, exercising the gifts of, of these ministries of mercy or compassion or help or we're doing that, well, let's do it according to the strength that God gives, not just our own strength. Let's tap in to divine strength, to divine power. So we wanna do this with confidence, we wanna do it with expectation that God is active, that he's working, that he wants to do something in us and through us that, again, the the goal here is that will make other people stronger wiser, more powerful, more whole, more capable, right? Let me quickly turn to um, 1 Corinthians 12. I I just wanted to highlight a couple parts of this because, again, this is a a passage, chapters 12 through 14, that has the same kind of language about the spiritual gifts or the grace things of God. In this passage, they're they're variously called grace things and spirit things, so it's charisma and pneumatica. You know, the Greek word pneuma means spirit. Pneumatika are the spirit things. So they're, they're, they're spirit things or they're grace things. They're like concrete expressions of the spirit of God, concrete expressions of the grace of God that make a tangible difference in people's lives. Okay, it's, it's not just all, you know, out there somewhere. Uh, the grace and spirit of God are here in order to change situations, in order to add to our lives, in order to bring healing and authority and confidence and power, in order to speak prophetically, in order to encourage and exhort, in order to instruct, in order to, I mean, well, you see the list here. Just think about this language. I'm I'm in uh, verse four. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, There are varieties of ministry or service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of actions or activities. But it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one, again, there's that language. We saw the same thing in 1 Peter 4.10. Each one. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, that's just such an awesome sentence that if you're trying to build a theology, of the grace gifts, of the Spirit's gifts. Just meditate on that for a while. To each one is given a manifestation, means a revealing, a showing, a concrete expression of the Holy Spirit for the common good. This this is the mindset that that God has when he's giving these gifts. He doesn't say to each one is given a manifestation of the spirit so that he can build his own website and start his own five hundred one c three ministry. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit so he can go on tour and sell tickets for his concerts and rake in millions of dollars and then be on YouTube. But I, you know we're so good in America, aren't we, at marketing stuff and creating a, a thing. We want to monetize it. There's a generation that's really interested in monetizing. But the Spirit's gifts are not for monetizing. They're for the common good. They're to build. And that's the language of chapter 14. When you get down to chapter 14, it's like, hey, listen. What, the reason you want these gifts is because we have a building project that's underway. And without these things, we can't finish it. We need these resources. It's like trying to build a house and you don't have any two by fours and you don't have any shingles and you don't have any nails. You, don't, you lost your, um, what you call it, pneumatic gun. It's all gone. How are we going to build this thing? Um, go get some moss, you know, from the river. We'll plug in the mud and go old school, log cabin. Okay, but you still need the tools to get the job done. You need the actual resources to build the thing. And the mentality in the kingdom is, okay, the resources are given by God to each person for everyone's benefit. So the more we can start building that into our mindset, the more we can function well with what God gives us. But that's the key. It really is. You have to read the instruction manual. Anybody here hate instruction manuals? I do too. The problem is I don't have an instinct for for like the, the engineering part. So, I, so there have been times in my life I started to put something together and just left the manual to the side. And about an hour in, I'm about to break it. I really am. I'm about to, yes, it doesn't work. This thing is stupid. And, and usually should be like my wife. Did you, um, did you look at the, the instructions? And she's like, no. But the instruction manual is pretty important. You know, it's where we learn about the design Behind what's going on. It's where we learn about the intended purpose of the tools and the resources. So the more we can lock our minds into that, the more we can understand that, okay, each one, common good, manifestation of the Spirit, because what in the end we're doing here is we're trying to see God working in us and through us. So that's the same language you see in chapter 14, where and I think this is a really important verse, verse, verse one of chapter 14, pursue love. The previous chapter highlights love because love is the environment in which the construction project works well. It's like the oil in the engine, if you will. You can have an engine, all the parts are there, but if there's no oil... You try to turn that thing on, it's gonna it's gonna be screeching and whining and making all kinds of nonsense and eventually just shut down on you. The oil is like what lubricates the thing. And so the parts can rub and do their work and they won't like clinch up and start smoking and flames. So we need the love. The love is the environment, which is why in first Peter four the love part came before the building part. Right? So you, Love one another earnestly, and in that context, now build. Just like here, because if you're loving people, you're preferring them. So if you have a spiritual resource, if you have a gift, you have grace, if you prefer people, you're in a position to build. If you're just trying to get noticed, that's not really a good attitude for building. So the, 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 the mindset is important. So it says pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That's strong language. Earnestly desire. I, I think there's some of us who, like, our approach to the spiritual gifts has been like, oh, well, you know, kind of like, eh. Oh, I believe they're out there. Just, you know, if God wants to give one to me, I'm cool, but I'm also cool if not. Hmm. That doesn't sound like earnestly desiring to me. <laughs> it doesn't sound like that. It sounds a little bit like laissez-faire spirituality for any capitalists out there, economists. You know, the laissez-faire, the hands-off, the, oh, well, we'll just let it be. It'll be fine. There's actually a command in the Bible to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, and especially prophecy. Because with these gifts, you can build. I'll read one more verse here, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. You know, we don't have a lot of um, descriptions of early church services in the New Testament. In fact, we really only have one. And it's here, it's in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, starting with a meal, and then going all through this idea of when you come together, this happens and that happens. So it's really interesting to me what Paul says about their early Christian services. He says, when you come together, 1 Corinthians 14, 26... Each one, does that phrase sound familiar yet? Each one, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. In other words, these are examples. When you come together, each each one has something that they can offer the body. So let all things be done for building up Edification, construction. This is the attitude of heart we want. Okay? We, we want to be coming to gatherings, whether they're here in a building, whether they're at someone's home, whether it's a, a youth gathering, a retreat, a conference, a, a, just a Bible study, a prayer meeting. We want to be coming to those things expecting. saying, God, let me build somebody today. Let me say something, let me do something that makes someone strong. Let me be, use me today. Whatever way you want so that because I was there someone's different. But we don't have that attitude a lot of times. We a lot of times we come to church saying, "God, do something for me." Which is fine. I mean, God is a good father. He will he'll do things to touch us and encourage us. And Lord, I really need X today. And we, we go to these meetings. But what if we flip that a little bit and we add to that, God, I want to know you. I want you to, to minister to my heart, but also help me because I want to come today with something, some resource, some spiritual supply that will actually help a brother, help a sister out today. How would that change? Like, you know, the way that our gatherings would function, I think it would bring great encouragement and strength and authority. So think about this, you know, common good, the manifestations of the spirit, the grace of God, each one has an opportunity, has a responsibility. And the the last thing I wanna say is, where do these things come from? How do we get these gifts? Well, there's endless, there's an endless number of ways that God could do that, right? He's God, he's super creative. He can give you anything, anytime, in any way. So I'm not up here saying the only way for you to get a gift is for Pastor Drew to prophesy over you. I don't mean it like that. But it is one way that it could happen. There are several verses in the New Testament that show that sometimes by people laying on hands, the Holy Spirit is given and gifts are given. Uh, so it's, I wanna be clear. Nobody gets to pick for you what gift God will give you. He's in charge of that. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says that the gifts are given according to the Spirit's will. Or 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God arranges the parts of the body exactly how he wants. So we're not in the business here of, you know, okay, it's going to be a lottery system. Uh, you're going to pick second. So whoever picks first, they get the first pick, and then you can pick what you want. That's exactly what Paul teaches against in 1 Corinthians 12. I don't know if you remember that passage. It's like the, the, the hand cannot say, because I am not a foot, therefore I am not in the body. Right? That, well, number one, that's silly because hands don't do the same job that feet do. I don't know if you've noticed that, but if you've ever tried to blow your nose through your elbow, you'll understand why that just can't happen. I mean, we, we don't need the elbow down here at the end of, of the arm. So there, there are reasons for the giftings of God and it's up to him, he's the boss. He's the head of the body. He's the master of, of, in the kingdom and so we, he gets to say what gifts we get. But having said that, there are times when God can distribute those gifts in response to both prayer or the laying on of hands. So just three verses real quick and then we're gonna be done. So for those of you um, with the kids, I would say five minutes. Check this out, Romans chapter one. Paul writing a letter to Rome. And in his introduction, he's telling them how often, you know, that he has longed to come and visit them. And this is one thing that he says in verse 11. He says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Same word, charisma, Paul's confident. If I come up in there, God's gonna use me to give you resources. Now that's an apostolic man, he, he knows that God wants to use him as a distributor of grace. And he's confident about that. I, I wanna come so that when I'm with you, God will use me to give you spiritual resources. And you say, well, that's arrogant. Not necessarily. Like, if he knows that's his job, that's one of his responsibilities, he's trying to be obedient. And he has a high level of confidence. That, yeah, it's going to happen. 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. I don't know why I saying that, but Pretty fun. Paul writing to his son in the faith. Um, Let me pick up verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, charisma, grace thing, which was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. That's interesting, isn't it? Like, man, a group of elders in maybe the church where Timothy grew up, gathered around him, laid their hands on him. Somebody had a prophecy. Hey, man, you're called to this. And it was confirmed by the group. And here's the apostle Paul telling them, hey, remember, you received this thing. Don't neglect it. And that, like the parallel passage to that, 2 Timothy chapter one, if you just flip over one page, you'll probably get there, where Paul says in verse six, for this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, the charisma of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, we don't know if that's a separate gift altogether or if that's the same one he was talking about and Paul was a part of the council of elders that laid hands on Timothy. We don't, we're not sure, but what we do know is Paul's saying you receive something when I put my hands on you. Now fan it into flame, bro. So there you have both the grace of God and the human stewardship. Right? You can have something and not fan it into flame. Do you understand? Like you can have a gift and do nothing with it. That's not okay. Because again, what you have is not for you. It's for us. If you're not stewarding the grace that God's given you, then we lose out. Do you see why that's self-centered? You may not be doing it on purpose, but I'm saying if we hold back from cultivating, stewarding, managing, putting the gifts that God gives us into practice, then other people lack who are around us. What if God's given you a gift of healing, but you you refuse to pray for anybody? How does that help us? What if God's given you a gift of teaching and you're just like, you know what? I I don't have enough time. (laughs) It's like... (sighs) Help, please. What if you're given a gift of mercy, a gift of compassion, and you're just like, I got too much on my plate right now, I can't really, you know, yada, yada, yada. Hey, man, people need you. Get in the game. You know, it's, again, the end of all things is at hand here. We we need these gifts in the game, in the work for the building of, of Christ's body. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want us to take some time and, you know, however you, you guys think is best. If it's in families, if it's uh, families and, and beyond that or whatever, but I really would love for our, th- those of you guys who are in the room, just, again, I don't, the literal council of elders, I don't, the, the point is, man, there are some leaders that God's given to the people. And I would just love to see those leaders tonight laying hands on the people. And let's just see if God will will respond to that. And again, this is not some kind of thing where we're trying to manipulate God into doing something. I'm just saying, look, this is one thing we can do to potentially help people encounter the Lord and receive a gift of the Spirit. Maybe there will be a prophetic word, maybe there won't. This is not manipulation. This is like, let's put ourselves in a position where we're open to what God would want to do. And let's see what he wants to do. Sometimes, you know, it's like that principle Jesus taught. You have not because you ask not. You know, we're sitting around here moping around, like, I wonder why God doesn't do anything. Well, have you asked God to do anything? Well, no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, how about we ask him, you know, kind of like, let's not hold ourselves, um, let, let's not block ourselves from experiencing the grace of God because just we're not interested enough to go after it. Or we're not putting ourselves in a position to do it. So I I don't know what the best way you think is, but for those in the room who are a part of the, the leadership team here, I would love to just have some time where we you know th- th- there can be laying out of hands. And let's just see if God will extend grace tonight. And we putting ourselves, what we're saying is, Lord, we're here, we want to do the, the work. We wanna be the people that you call us to be. We want to receive grace from you. And we want to learn how to use it to build people up. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.